So this is a little bit of an interesting week on Voyager because both Living Witness and Demon deal with duplications of crew members, the Doctor in the case of Living Witness and Paris and Kim in the instance of Demon that have their own lives and go on to live them. And it really made me remark on this, I think, this week because we've had this happen before in that episode with the duplicated Voyagers and they killed the baby and then Harry Kim and the duplicated baby went over to the other Voyager. And they do this at least one other time that I can think of. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how Voyager is much more interested in being sort of a, a weird TOS than it is a TNG or a DS9. And I think these two episodes are kind of really good examples of that. Yeah, well, this, in a way, it reminds me of the saga of Thomas Riker. Again, the initial plan that they were going to kill off William Riker and have Thomas Riker take his place, and Next Gen just couldn't really make that change uh, for a bunch of reasons. I think, uh, particularly with a strong character like Will Riker, it's hard to make that kind of a shift, at least in that point of the 90s, but Voyager is more willing to take those risks, I guess partially because the characters are kind of less iconic. Like, I think you would care about having a Will Riker uh, duplicate more than you care about the fact that you actually have a Harry Kim duplicate. Like, who remembers that? Who really notices the difference? I mean, yes, to some degree, I, I, I agree with that. But I also think that it, it, it's really a matter of execution. You know, um, what was that episode called? Second Chances? That was played very, very straight. That was played very seriously. And that was the entire point of the episode was to really examine those two characters in a very, very uh, serious way. Whereas, you know, I don't want to talk about Demon too much yet, but but Demon is very different from that. And Demon is not really interested in examining uh, the internal lives of the duplicates or what it means or any sort of philosophical uh, permutations of any of that. It's just a, It's just an adventure story. And and Living Witness, I think, is a little more of a serious look at it. Certainly, it, it's very high concept. It's a little gimmicky. You know, I think we have, you know, we have recreations inside recreations inside recreations, which <laughs> is is a little bit, maybe that final reveal at the end of Living Witness is a little too far. But at the same time, it is played very nicely. And it's, a, it's an episode which I don't think could work if... Robert Picardo wasn't such a good actor, yeah. or at least so good at playing the Doctor. He does carry this episode to a large degree. You know, Living Witness feels like a really good version of a Babylon 5 episode. Like, this is the kind of thing that they did on that show a lot. And this seems like, like it's, 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 it's funny almost. Deep, Babylon 5 has that, this isn't a deep space franchise, this means something. And this episode almost feels like Voyager going back to Babylon 5 and saying, no, we're going to do something with historical resonance and we're going to do it a lot better and a lot more elegantly because I really liked this episode, um, even though. It, no, it's it's a really good episode. It makes I, I mean, one I mean, of my it makes no sense in the ending and we'll get to that. And it is a little Holocaust denially, which I have a little bit of a problem with, but. Well, I think it's supposed to be, though. I mean, I, I, I think that's that's one of the points of the episode is obviously, you know, an examination of, of how history gets written, the the sort of ways in which people use history as weapons, yeah, yeah. their understanding of history. Um, we're, we're living in the age of fake news, for instance, and so there, apparently there are no facts anymore and people can just lie 
all the time. The president can lie. His staff can lie. Everybody can lie, and it just doesn't matter anymore. And this episode feels, in a way, very um, very important and relevant, yeah. more so now than I think it did when it first aired. Yeah, because I, 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 the stuff wasn't as mainstream as it is now. That is true. Uh, there are a lot of... Uh moments in this episode again when they're talking about how oh well that was so long ago how can you even know what happened then and and i read somewhere recently for example that holocaust denialism is on the rise because the people who were involved who are around for that are starting to die of old age now and that's going not to be, starting to die are, they're almost all gone yeah and soon enough there will be nobody who remembers this and we have to just trust in the historical texts and I mean, I think you can at once say that, yes, historical texts are prone to interpretation and there could be misunderstandings of the facts. We will not have it right, while at the same time believing that the Holocaust did happen and did exist. I mean, there is a continuum here, but... It's interesting because, I mean, I I, I didn't really intend us to talk this much about the Holocaust, but I think this episode probably has the most resonances to it. And what what is... I don't want to use the word interesting for the Holocaust, but... uh, what is what is fascinating about the ways in which Western society has dealt with the Holocaust since World War II is is it goes through waves, of course, right? Like it it drops out of the public consciousness and then it comes back in a, in a big way, usually through a novel or a movie or something like that, and or or an event. I mean, for example, I'm rewatching Mad Men for some reason. I don't know why uh, that just started happening. And as you're wont to do, and there's a very early episode. Part of what's interesting about Mad Men is that the entire first season has this uh, subplot of this uh, uh, this woman who's a, a department store owner who's Jewish. It's a Jewish department store um, that was sort of a thing in in New York back then. Not not so much now, and. They talk a lot about sort of um, where they make references to just sort of very casual, uh, very, very casual anti-Semitism in a way that I find very off-putting. And of course, that's the point of it, because that was very common in, in the 50s and 60s, even though everybody knew the Holocaust had happened and it was this terrible thing. And, you know, she makes this uh, a comment to Don Draper in one episode where she says, you know, you think this is over, like they just caught. Adolf Eichmann in in, in uh, Argentina, like you know, go talk to him if you want to know about this stuff. And it it drops in and out of fashion. It comes back Schindler's List. It comes back here. It comes back there. Yeah. And now we're in an era again where Holocaust denial and and anti semitism are are very important and very uh, de rigor events in the world again because a almost everybody that lived through the Holocaust is is dead. The last survivors are very old at this point. And um, that is becoming a point of, of real concern amongst a lot of people that deal with Holocaust remembrances. And, um, you know, then, of course, we have the rise of anti-Semitism, the rise of the quote-unquote alt-right, and, and all of these things, which are really sort of pushing this idea again that we need to safeguard our own history very, very appropriately. And Living Witness plays around with all of that, and I, I think it's a really, really well-done examination of how two sides can— you know, I think the only the only part of this that feels more '90s than than uh, 2010s is that you get the sense that both sides are coming at this from mostly a place of of good intentions or good faith efforts to understand the truth. They're coming to different 
they're they're coming to different conclusions, but they're not doing it denying the facts. And once the facts start to come to light with the doctor's reemergence, the guy who started the the um, the museum, for instance, starts to go back on his own beliefs. Yeah, I mean, I I I think that's what I respect the most about this episode. He's a scientist. He's a historian. If he finds evidence which contradicts what he believes, yes, that sucks uh, on the level of I have to scrap all of this work. I have to start again. I have to begin a recreation. But at the same time, a respect and adherence to what is the truth is more important than, you know, having to do some more work. This is a nice counterpart, for example, to the Lizard People episode where in the face of scientific evidence, where in the face of scientific evidence, they are – the society is unable to change their beliefs and begin that dialogue and reexamine their society. This is a society who in the face of evidence does begin to make it right and ultimately that becomes their salvation as these two groups finally are able to live together and understand each other. Yeah, certainly. I mean, and I don't want to overstate exactly how well this episode does that because I do think there's a little bit yeah. of of great man theory of history in here where you know they start they start this riot, they start essentially like a, a minor civil war, and you can really see this spiraling out of control in the latter part of the episode and the the doctor and the scientist, the the curator have this sort of like impassioned discussion where the doctor says he's going to deactivate himself and you know the the curator convinces him not to and it's it's through the testimony of the doctor that this minor uh, almost civil war is stopped and there's a new golden age of understanding between the two species which and okay, there's that- almost i mean there's a bit of white savior narrative resonances in that too of course yes yeah i mean this is not a perfect episode by any means and i think that that that's that's one of my major problems with it but then again i mean i don't fair. know that that's really that that probably has more to do with the fact that the doctor is one of the main characters in our show and not necessarily anything to do with the fact that in a real situation, the the doctor would not have had this much of an impact. If you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think I do. He just happens to be the protagonist. And again, this is, this is also implicitly that Star Trek thing where one building and a dozen people represent an entire planet. So yeah, that that's true as well. So I do want to talk about some of the the recreations that uh, we watch as well, because they're really well done. And you almost get a sort of mirror universe sense from them in a, in a yeah. little bit. I mean, Voyager hasn't done a mirror universe episode. Voyager will never do a mirror universe episode. I'm oh, thank God. To, uh, hang you. I'm not going to I'm not going to hang you out to dry on that. I'll just tell you that Good. right now. Um, and it's really, really well done. And it's well done in a way that is is surprising to me because it it really comes across as believable it's very off-putting it's very unsettling and but it feels real it feels like it doesn't feel like a a fictionalized portrayal of something they they did a really good job with that you know part of the reason that may, maybe the reason that they give us alternate versions of these characters could just be for the simple reason that this cast happens to be really good at playing alternate versions of the characters. Like, I really like evil Janeway and evil evil Doctor and all of them. Uh, it could be a case of this, them just simply using the tools they have. Uh, 
Well, I mean, I, you know, there, there's kind of a churlish understanding of that, which could be that in, in a show that doesn't really have strong characters is much easier to force them into other places than necessary. But, you know, that's that's not something that I will not say. I will not argue that. That is perhaps a devil's advocate position. I think what I love best about the alternate is is evil Harry Kim. Because evil Harry Kim, as the big bad torturer, is just as pathetic as real Harry Kim. Like, he uh, has that moment where he's like, I could do this all day, punch. I can't do this anymore. You know, he's, he's, he, I feel like his torture sessions are him just like playing his clarinet and talking about Libby. Well, Harry Kim is always a problem. We'll talk about Harry Kim more with the next episode. <laughs> But the, it does. Those scenes also do have a lot of really nice details. I mean, I, I like the 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 little variations in the costuming with the uniforms and the black yeah. gloves. You know, I like the fact that they think the doctor is an android and he has data eyes. Um, <laughs> you know, just little little tiny things like that. Which you know, I, I don't know. It's it's hard because I I do criticize Voyager for for not having you know much of an attention to detail. And at least in this episode, I feel like it did a really good job with the details. I guess part of my there is a bit of this episode that falls apart in one of those, you know, after the episode is done kind of things. So to pick through the levels of reality here, um, in the – we'll call it the past, which is when uh, Voyager met up with the species and whatever happened there. The present, which is the main storyline with the Doctor and the Historian, and then the future, which is the ending scene where everybody was happy. So in the present, they find some wreckage of Voyager. Um, They make this museum about this because Voyager has somehow crashed or finally been destroyed. I assume there was something about how they finally managed to subdue this evil ship that had been kind of a thing. Um, No, no, no. That's not what it was at all because this this apparently actually is happening 700 years in the future. Yeah. well, 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 so what that means is at some point Voyager crashes then. No, no, they right? like no, no. They they How- found they found pieces of Voyager, or they found like a probe or something. They didn't. I mean, Voyager didn't crash. Well. The- or was destroyed. I I was wondering how pieces of Voyager managed to get somewhere. I guess that then in a case of, you know, the ship has been attacked so many times that I guess there was just wreckage floating around. Yeah. Okay. Because they also um, make it, a, they also make it a very, very clear point that this is the Doctor's backup module. This is not the Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that 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 is. So, in other words, shortly after what, whenever they encounter these species and whatever their interaction is, in another fight with the Herosians again, part of the ship is destroyed and jettisoned into space, including the Doctor's module, and ultimately they repair the damage, and it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, that something like that. I mean, I, I think that it's it's a long enough period of time that, that you can really make up any sort of uh, a reason for why they find this stuff. You know, I don't think we're supposed to infer that Voyager was actually destroyed. Because one of the things that I think is so interesting about Living Witness, which we haven't even talked about yet, is this idea that there are two doctors now. And this idea that um, Voyager somehow got home. He doesn't know. I mean, he, he likes to, to think they did. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, this backup module, which we have never heard of before, is the Doctor. And so yes. Voyager flew off. They probably didn't even know that. I mean, they, they probably figured out that they lost the backup module, but 
they don't know exactly to what degree that actually means that there's another version of the doctor out there. Yeah, um, they probably don't think about it more anyway, anything more than, oh, we have to make another backup, you know? Right, That's it. right. And But suddenly you have the doctor waking up 700 years in the future with yeah. a sort of existential horror show. And that's really disturbing. Yeah, it, it, it's and very you know and sad. I mean, the doctor is immediately grieving for the fact that you know all of these people that he knew and loved have been since been long dead. But if the doctor makes if if, if Voyager makes it back to Earth in the final episode of of season seven. The Doctor and Janeway and everybody are going to be celebrating and still seeing each other. So they they don't even know that the backup Doctor didn't exist because, f- for all they know, they, they 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 went back home with the Doctor. I mean, it, it is a weird forgotten self. Yeah, no, it totally is, and I think it also is is a nice. Um, I don't know. It's just a nice way to get into the episode because you could have done this episode without this sort of high concept 700 years in the future there's a backup doctor of course um you, you voyager happens on this species and they're having some sort of internal disagreement and they have you know i mean you could have done it with an episode like remember right from the the third season where there's it was a very similar type of story i think it was much more of a direct much more of a direct holocaust analog in that episode because you've got people being rounded up and sent to camps and all kinds of stuff but and then this vast cover-up uh, this episode is a little less than that, but it, it's much more interested in talking about what that would look like 700 years in the future, what historical recreation, what history does, how you fight against it, how people interpret it in different ways. And suddenly, the you know, the, the, the question is, how does that change if you actually find someone who was there? And and this is something that, of course, is impossible, but it's not impossible in terms of the show because we're talking about a science fiction show. Yeah, and let's also be the doctor as a living witness to history is stronger testimony than finding somebody's diary, for example, but new historical sources do turn up. There is new research which does change the uh, our understanding of events, and I – think the episode also places this all within a longer continuum of history in other words like in real life the holocaust was maybe one of the strongest manifestations of anti-semitism it was certainly one of the most horrible but it it wasn't the beginning or the end of anti-semitism you know that this is something that is going on for centuries um this episode also reminded me for example of you know the crusades for example it's something that is about 700 years old to us but we are still playing out these same tensions and uh problems in the middle east i mean there there these are there are certain conflicts which are which go back so long that nobody even has a real reason for them to exist anymore there is no real reason for the conflict in this episode nobody people hate each other because they just hate each other and they learned this one way to be or interact with this um there is a lot of weird shame going in from the one uh group who supposedly exterminated the others um because they have spent their entire history being told that they were the bad guys i mean there there is a which again is where and Certainly many members of the alt-right feel themselves 
justifies because justified because they feel that they have been called the bad guys. I mean, that meme of you call us Nazis forever and we'll become Nazis is bullshit, but that is a thought process. And it's one which I think this episode does explore as well. No, I agree with that because I, one of the things that I appreciate so much about this episode is that it, it doesn't ever really talk about what was happening before the, the doctor started. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's hard to talk about this episode because there's so many layers upon layers in terms of time. But if we talk about the present Voyager, right, and the doctor's testimony about what was going on, about the ambassador coming, the trade or, you know, the trade uh, agreement, this kind of thing, and, and how all this started. And what is what is fascinating to me about it is that the episode doesn't dive at all into why was this alien species i think it was the Kyrians were the ones that were fighting and the the vascans who the ones that were sort of like the overseers or the the people that were high up higher up in the status yeah. of course but they don't ever really talk about what the origins of that particular conflict were and yeah. and so you don't know right you're just supposed to think okay well it's it's a situation that kind of spiraled out of control. No one really knows how it started or what happened. They're trying to figure this out. But at the end of the day, the episode really seems to be arguing that it's probably better to just wipe the slate clean in a sense and say, yes. you know what, these these ancestral grudges don't matter. And to use what happened to people 700 years ago to continue to oppress them is is wrong. And I think that that's a, obviously a very Star Trek message. I think that's a very, um, you know, that's a, that's a very good message. And certainly it's not the case that the show is trying to argue the opposite of that, but it could also be used for that. And I think that's why it's such a fascinating episode, because you can really see both sides. Yeah, what it seems that, that happened to my mind is, again, you have an upper class and an underclass, and, you know, there is a long history of, oppression from the one to the other you get the sense that this one revolutionary that is in the episode is somebody who decided to lead his people out and maybe was a little too zealous in his revolutionaryism he was he was a little more violent than was perhaps necessary instead of taking this moment as an opportunity to uh, to come together as they do in the future to decide on an agreement to figure out a way to rebuild society uh it goes into genocide it goes into bioweapons they use voyager in order as a way of a scapegoat to kind of place some of that pressure off but it takes them 700 years in the doctor's testimony to finally get to that point where they yeah they have to sit down they have to say this has been going on for so long it's done how are we getting to the next step Right, exactly, because it's like at a certain point, you just have to get away from it. I mean, I think that the one thing that I think would have made the episode a little stronger was maybe to know about what exactly the, the origins of this disagreement were or or how they fixed it. Because yeah, it, 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 if the again, I talked about this before where the great man theory of history in this episode bothers me a little bit because the one thing that is a little a little unsatisfying about living witness is the end of it where it's revealed that what we've been watching is a historical recreation. And I mean, you could, you could use this trope, you know, all down the line, historical recreation of a historical recreation of a historical recreation of a historical recreation of it, you know, yeah. but it's just a little too facile. It's like, well, the doctor gave his testimony and that started off a, a you know, a reawakening of our two species coming together. And now we live in this golden age and you're kind of like, I mean, maybe, but 
it's a little that's the one part of it that feels a little yeah i needed to i needed to see there being a leader of the vaskins uh coming together with the historian and the two of them becoming friends and deciding you know the truth is more important than this we can work together kind of a thing to represent that that change happening in society again maybe a little cheesy but this is a historical recreation and we can get there and if it doesn't give us the exact mechanics of it uh because let's face it if we knew the exact mechanics of it we would fix our own world's problems uh yeah uh, yeah maybe a bit more of a symbolic resonance that because again this is a very optimistic episode this is a very positive episode this is one that says that these changes can be made in society it may be a lot of work it may be very difficult it will be a lot of struggle but eventually uh this will happen and yeah they they could have gone a little further to make us buy that i mean i think that that they do do that a little bit i i'm thinking of the scene where the doctor is presenting or the the um curator is presenting the doctor and they're sort of trying to rule whether or not they should continue this and they they do kind of examine this idea that there are this there are structures in this society that are trying to right these wrongs but there are still a lot of systemic discrimination built into the system i mean you have the one arbiter who um, is a, um, I believe he's a Vaskin, but he he rules in favor of of continuing to to look into this. And you have the the Kyrian who's saying, "Oh, well, you're just doing this because it did, you know, yeah, um, you know, absolves you of guilt and all this kind of stuff." And it it's there's a lot of it that's done very well, and I think that the the world building aspects of it are done very well for the most part. Yeah, and from the view of the Kyrians, they. I buy their point of not wanting to wait for the slow machinery to happen and hope the systemic things get overturned someday eventually because, uh, I mean, that's a thing. We sh- it, 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 It's not really the Vaskins' right to give them permission or not to be full citizens. Like, they, 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 they that's not their call. They have it by virtue yeah. of being there kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And that that is certainly a view in act a lot of activist circles and it's one that I am sympathetic with. Yes. Yeah. But but at the same time the question of how is uh, is the difficult part. The question of timing is easy. I postponing things happens as a way of avoiding dealing with the how which is hard. Well, I don't know that we can answer that question, so it's probably a good place to leave Lipping Witness. Let's move on to Demon, but before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to remind all of you that this podcast is listener-supported. If you would like to give us a little bit of your money each and every month, please go to patreon.com slash check out our reward tiers, and give now. Thank you very much. So in contrast to Living Witness, I think Demon is a very fun episode that ultimately doesn't have a lot to say. Yeah, this is a very kind of classic episode in some ways. It's the crew has a problem and we get to see them fix it and there's a weird alien at the end and that's about it. Um, I do have a fan theory about this episode. Okay. Uh, This planet is one of the 100 changelings that was sent out. And this is how it managed, you know, all alone crashing on this planet – uh, became to understand its nature by replicating the minerals, and then when it meets Harry Kim, uh, it begins to get into its fuller shape-shifting powers. Sure, why not? And that's my theory. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially because 
you know, this is kind of the advantage of Voyager having never seen anything on, you know, anything of the Dominion of the Changelings, knowing really nothing about the wars, that they can encounter one and have no idea. Sure. You know, Why not? Cisco in this episode. Okay. Well, I'm trying to give it some kind of depth or resonance. I mean, I, I don't I don't think you need to, though. I mean, I think it's okay just for an episode to be to be ultimately harmless. And I, it's also a very interesting pairing because, you know, aside from the fact that both of these involve sort of duplication of crew members, I also think that that Living Witness is this very sober, serious look at a very real issue, a very important issue. It's very well done, has a lot of, you know, high minded ideas about, you know, truth and all this kind of thing. And Demon is just kind of a fun adventure. And you could really see that. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, Demon is sort of the the prototypical Voyager episode. Because if this had been a TNG episode, or even if this had been a DS9 episode, I think that they would have dealt a lot more with the philosophical ramifications of having having duplicates of the crew members running around. But it's just an episode that presents you with a strange mystery pretty much solves it almost immediately and then at the end of the episode gives us this very nice star trek moment where voyager decides that they will let these uh whatever they are duplicate the crew and i don't know it's like you could say this there's not much to this episode and i think that you would not be incorrect to say that but as an example of the type of episode that i think voyager is very good at making at this point it's 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 a good example of that yeah, and it's 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 nice to have Harry Kim have something to do, even if it is in Harry Kim. Um, I wonder if there's a darkness to the ending because this crew has d- determined time and time again that they want to go home, meeting Earth, and these clones are probably going to have some of that same desire. Uh, I I I don't think I don't know if the clone of Janeway is going to be happy being on one planet. Um. I don't know. I disagree with you. I think the episode pretty much makes it clear that they don't have the same desire to go home because they believe that this planet is home. That's fair. They do find it beautiful. So it's about Voyager creating another species. And yeah, because they have to get to leave it, they don't really have as much of a responsibility for it in a way. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's about responsibility, but it is about... No. I mean, it's... I mean, it's not the, about the, responsibility pre- in the long term. It's about taking responsibility for for doing something that you didn't mean to do, in a sense. Because Harry, you know, Harry Kim has this idea. Yeah, that's we'll true. talk about Harry Kim because I, I do think this is the best use of that character in a long time. Uh, Harry Kim has this idea: they go out there, they get duplicated by um, this goo. They don't realize it for a while. Then they happen upon their bodies. This goo is starting to have these sort of very uh, strong feelings of, of wanting to be on the planet, wanting to be home. And Janeway realizes at the end of the episode that they have, a sens- in, a, in a sense, created sentient life, that they have created a new species. And they they do have an obligation, I think, to give them a reasonable accommodation. And I think that that epi- the, you know the end of that episode, to me, is such a perfect example of what Star Trek does at its best, because... They make a request. Janeway says, okay, I'll ask the crew. And the crew apparently decides because the last shot of the episode is Voyager lifting off back to fly yeah. home with all of the duplicated crew members like waving at them. And it's really, really weird, but it's also very uh, it's it's very moving in a way that, that Star Trek can do. Well, it's really funny because the um, 
uh, on our other podcast, Tuning In, we are this week working on uh, the episode The Postmodern Prometheus of the X-Files. And that episode obviously has a lot of Frankenstein resonances, and the point of that book is that uh, Victor Frankenstein does not take responsibility for his creation, he just makes it. Uh, There is the bit where the creature is saying, you know, make me a bride, give me somebody to be my companion, and... Uh, Dr. Frankenstein refuses to, and that is, you know, about the, I think, irresponsibility of God in some ways, and in this episode, they create life. They create duplicate Harry Kim and Tom Paris, and their request is not that dissimilar from Make Me a Mate. You know, give me a society, give me people to be my companions, and Voyager does take that responsibility and gives them the society that they are looking for. At this point, it's up to them to create a civilization, and they will be able to, but Voyager has the tools to give that to them, and they do because, again, they feel the compassion for them. Yeah, certainly they feel a compassion for them, and they they do feel at least a little bit of a responsibility for them. And I I think that it's— it's also a nice moment, I think, for the Voyager crew as well, because, and again, it's interesting to me that the episode doesn't really go into this at all, because again, this is not an episode which is interested in sort of like a philosophical um, discussion or philosophical examination of what it would mean if there were duplicates running around, because that's not what this episode is interested in. I mean, there's no other way to put it than that. But the crew obviously does feel at least some responsibility to them because they apparently all agree. Yeah, I mean, that's a moment that almost reminds me of the 37s, where you have the crew acting as one in terms of their moral outlook of the situation. Uh, They all have the realization that uh, this is nothing—being cloned takes nothing from us and gives everything to them, so it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Harry Kim, then, because— I do think that this is, again, the best use of him in a long time. This is an episode which I think remembers that he's a senior member of the crew inexplicably for some reason, remembers that he has been an ensign for almost four years, and it's a little bit of a retcon. It's a little bit of an easy sort of way to get that character out of his box of never really talking in staff meetings and never really having much to do and saying that the reason why he is so... You know, the the reason why he is so passive in the show is because he never really felt like he had anything to contribute, but he had this revelation one night that he suddenly knows that he's a senior crew member and he has a lot of good ideas, and by gosh, he's going to start speaking up at meetings. (laughs) Yeah, but it's one that's—it's kind of adorable because, again, on his first thing that he decides to do, this happens, uh, but truth be told, it could be worse, but— yeah, I like that he is trying to reinvent himself. He has spent this entire season being made fun of in a way. Like I said, a lot of bad, you know, he's a bad torturer in his evil form. He strikes out with seven of nine. He, in some ways, is a joke and is old enough to realize that and want to make his changes. I mean, he is Starfleet. He is capable of great things. I think that he is just a late bloomer. I think so, and... and- but, it, I mean, it's such a weird thing for the show to do because, I mean, I don't think it's going to be much of a surprise that I don't think it really has 
a lot of follow through with this. This is not some sort of turning point and Harry Kim doesn't become like an important part of the show going forward. It's just a way for the show to use Harry Kim in this episode. And it's kind of divorced from anything that happens later. I mean, I'm kind of being a little unfair to the show here, but but I think that that's partially accurate. It's not like Harry Kim is going to show up next week in a tux and you know, sweep seven of nine off her feet and then invent a new way for them to get home. Like, he's not going to suddenly become suave, but... No, he's not Barkley. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of Barkley because, you know, he had all those holodeck fantasies. Actually, now that I think <laughs> about that, Harry Kim having holodeck fantasies would, would make a lot of sense. Or a man Bashir. Well, he had a holodeck fantasy, that one lady at the uh, at the Hawaii thing. True, true. But I'm thinking more in terms of like pleasure you know, duplications of the crew like like Barkley did. Oh god. Yeah, I'm glad they never went down that road or did they? No. <laughs> uh well, well this episode is about Harry Kim's fondest wish, a duplicate of Tom Paris, so But is this episode a, like fundamentally speaking, you know, as- leaving aside the duplication stuff, leaving aside the Neelix subplot because I do want to talk about the Neelix subplot briefly as well because it is yes. kind of interesting. But, like, this is a good use of Harry Kim. I think it's a good way to retcon the way the show has treated him, the way the show has really pushed him into the background, pushed him into the sidelines, pushed him into the, uh, you know, the the sort of, like, goofball role. He's the fuck-up. He's not good at anything. He's very bumbling. He embarrasses easily. All these sorts of things. But, like, is this really necessary? Is this something that we feel like do we feel that harry kim needs character development at this point i i'm just not I, I, harry kim needs a character and we've been saying that for a while yeah and this feels like their attempt to give him one at least to some degree or at least explain why he hasn't had one but it just strikes me as odd yeah and i guess maybe you're a bit colored by the fact that as you say there's no follow through and not you know i'm not even completely buying it but i don't know i i i I have a soft spot for Harry Kim showing up and announcing that, you know, finally, I'm going to have episodes made about me. This everything is different now. And it's kind of cute. Like, you know, it's like a teenager saying, you know, this is who I am now. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, isn't Harry Kim supposed to be like 28 years old at this point or something? I, I just I don't know. There's there's like a blankness to Harry Kim. And whenever I try and think about Harry Kim or figure Harry Kim out, it's I it's it's like that picture in Back to the Future, which is like, you know, erasing itself from history. I just I can never really get a clear picture of Harry Kim. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think the dupl- hey, I- the duplicate of Harry Kim is more interesting than Harry Kim. <laughs> well, at least he has a motivation. Um no, they really uh, again, Harry Kim would make a great secondary character that just hap- but he just happens to be in the main cast. I think that's fair. And I also want to talk about the Neelix subplot briefly because there's nothing really revelatory here. It's not like some, you know, deep ex- you know, deep examination of of what it means to be uh, nice to people, but it's it's funny. Voyager is a show that can do humor well, and I think that that's difficult for Star Trek to pull off. So so we should you know yeah. uh, acknowledge that. And it just also speaks to the way the Doctor is still not really growing as a person. Well, yeah, the Doctor is still very fastidious in a way. The sick bay is his area, and he does view it as kind of a sacred place. 
At the same time, Neelix is going into sickbay because it's the cushiest location that he can refugee to, and he is kind of intruding on, on the space that is for sickness, but he's very nice about it. He is sweet about it at the end with, you know, with thanking the doctor for his hospitality. I just want to know who these people are that Neelix has the sleepover club with. Like, I, I, I imagine that... I'm imagining Neelix having this complete other life that the show just hasn't dealt with at all, where he's just hanging out with these three people all the time. And I don't know. It reminds me that there is a, there is a sitcom set on Star Trek Voyager where it's just Neelix hanging out with his friends. I would watch that sitcom. I'm not even going to lie. I, <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. And I also think that, that this, this subplot is a really good example of something that, that Voyager what was able to do that, that perhaps the other Star Treks weren't really able to do. Well, DS9 accepted, of course, but, but DS9 is a, separate, is a special case that they were able to figure out ways for these characters to disagree and for, for friction to be in the characters and even the Starfleet characters. I mean, I think that, you know, for, for all of DS9's friction between characters, the, the, the Starfleet characters were still pretty much friction-free, um, as TNG was. Whereas I feel like Voyager, the, the Starfleet characters have a bit more friction. And the Doctor, of course, is an artificial life form, but he's also a Starfleet artificial life form. Yeah. He was programmed to be a Starfleet artificial life form. And he's not very flexible, and I think that's what's interesting about it. You know, they're in this very dire situation. They're they're basically shutting down entire decks of the ship. People are going to have to be, like, sleeping in the cargo bay and stuff. And certainly Neelix's motivations here are not uh, the most pure. You know, he has all those blankets. He has the pillows. He has the book. I mean, I don't really understand why he couldn't bring a book, because he could just put it under his pillow, but whatever. Uh, probably it's just the Tuvok doesn't like Neelix very much and won't admit it to himself. <laughs> but... So, you know, his motivations are not completely pure there, but he also does have a point. And it's not as though Neelix just went to sickbay by himself. He did bring three other people with him. Yeah, but he also did announce, hey, I'm staying with my three friends here at your place. Hope that's cool. But I I mean, it's interesting (laughs) that you're much more on the doctor's side and I'm much more on Neelix's side because... I think the doctor is being completely unreasonable. Like this is a very, very <laughs> dire situation, and the doctor really needs to be a team player. But again, it's not like there is no real place for Neelix to stand to 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 be. If he hadn't brought all that crap, he would have and just gone along with everybody else. They would find a corner for him. I don't know though. Uh, I kind of got the impression that like they had to sleep in shifts or something because there wasn't enough room. Eh, either way, I mean it. It's not a. I, I, I think the fact that this storyline is so funny is because it is the lowest stakes thing of this episode. It doesn't really matter where Neelix sleeps. Uh, the worst thing that is going to happen to Neelix is he has an uncomfortable night's sleep. Like, that's okay. It'll be fixed by the end of the episode. They'll have the power. He'll, ba- he be-, he'll be back in his room. Um, I, I, I think the doctor... Uh, it, in a way, I think the. In a way, I think Tuvok is getting amusement by everybody finding this so uncomfortable. Like he he's he's amused at Neelix getting so upset about having to get rid of his creature comforts. He's amused at the Doctor being so flustered by all of this. 
because I think for Tuvok, again, this is nothing. Okay, we 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 have a couple of uncomfortable nights sleep. There was so much more at stake here that we have to deal with that. That's not not a thing, and so he's getting his. I think the strongest part of the subplot is Tuvok probably just getting laughing like mad inside at everybody just getting so upset at each other. All right. Well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please go over to trekaboutshow.com and leave a comment. As I said earlier, we do have a Patreon. This podcast is supported by you, the listeners, uh, and we do appreciate each and every one of you. If you would like to give, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast tuning in. As Richard said earlier, we are covering this week on the X-Files, the postmodern Prometheus, and Christmas Carol. And we also uh, released a patron special in March on Babylon 5, The Gathering, pushing that because people were asking us if we were ever going to do Babylon 5. Well, we did it, at least one episode. So if you would like to hear that and you do not give already, just go over to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, truckaboutshow is our username. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for Truckabout. All right, next week we have reached the end of the fourth season of Star Trek Voyager, Richard. I didn't believe it was going to happen ever. I felt like we were in fourth season forever. We are going to be talking about one and hope and fear.